Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Today we have Mary Constantopoulos, better known as Mary Kay from Ladies Who League and Ladies Who Legspin. Mary, welcome to the show. Paul, thank you so much for having me and also thank you for that wonderful pronunciation of my name. You did perfectly. <laughs> thank you. Mary, look, obviously people have good idea of who you are, but maybe you could let us know how your passion of sport developed and, and how it's grown into what it has. I'm very happy to share that story, Paul. Uh, so I've always had a passion for sport, particularly rugby league, and it takes me back to when I was about eight years old and I wanted to spend more time with my dad and brothers on the weekend. And so they spent a lot of time watching footy and I also started watching footy alongside them. So uh, my team is the Parramatta Eels and I love them, but they've caused me a lot of pain over the years as well. So <laughs> over the years, this passion just kept bubbling along and I ended up, after my university degree, I did a Bachelor of Law at the at University of Sydney. I went and worked at a law firm and I met this amazing woman and, and she sort of said to me, why don't you do something about this big passion for sport and rugby league that you have? And I sort of brushed her aside because I didn't think anyone would be interested in what I had to say. But then she sort of encouraged me to think about it. So I did overnight and the next day, Ladies Who League was born. And at that stage, it was basically a crappy WordPress blog that was all about encouraging more women to get involved in conversations about sport. But what's important to note at that time is that I didn't really know that women played rugby league and it wasn't until I worked that out a bit later that the focus sort of shifted to promoting and encouraging that involvement. And since then, it's stretched to other sports. So we've got ladies who leg spin for cricket, ladies who line up for rugby, ladies who lay up for basketball, and it's really just about promoting women in sport no matter how they're involved and getting women involved in those conversations. That's great. It's definitely an area that needs more and more development because I think women don't get enough promotion, they don't get enough airtime and women's sports suffer as a result even though I think the, the quality of the competition for women's sports is just as good as the men. I couldn't agree more and, and I go back to my own rugby league experience why was it that growing up I never ever thought, do women play rugby league or is this a sport that I could play? And it's because you can't be what you can't see. And at that point, I couldn't see any women playing rugby league. And I thought, look, if I'm a passionate footy fan and I don't know who the Australian Jillaroos are, then there will be others exactly like me. So it's been really wonderful to see how much uh, has been achieved in the last, say, five, six years in the women's sports space. But we certainly need to do more. And I think what keeps me going and what has pushed me to sort of go into all these different types of sports is that women have incredible stories and they are worth sharing because so many of these women aren't full-time professional athletes. It means that they have jobs. It means that they have families. It means that they're studying. They play the sports because they absolutely love them. And to me, that is an absolutely inspirational thing. And that's one of the reasons why I love talking to female athletes. They've got astounding stories. A while back, we spoke with Rahani Cox, and her story is just amazing. Coming from Broome and you know, eventually reaching Olympic silver. It's there are so many stories like that, as you've said. They don't get seen. They don't get the light of day that they deserve. It's a real shame that we don't see that. It is because those stories not only inspire the next generation of young women, but they also inspire the next generation of young men as well. And I think that's really the goal of a lot of this media coverage and the work being done in the women in sports space is that the next generation will hopefully just grow up knowing that men and women play sport and young girls can aspire to a career in professional sport as well if that's something that they want to do. You'd think 
from some of the coverage that we've been seeing recently on sports that it seems to angle towards, it, it's almost like a throwaway in some cases for women's sports. I mean, if you look at the women's NRL, the competition runs for a very short period of time, but I don't believe that the coverage that it got really gave it the airtime that it deserved for the quality of competition that was on display. Paul, I tend to agree with you, and I think the real challenge this year has been the pandemic. And at the start of the year, there were genuine fears about that competition even going ahead. And I guess what was even more frustrating is that, you know, there is a lot of frustration about the competition only being four weeks and only four teams involved. But the backstory to that, of course, is that we wanted to ensure that we had a sustainable, fantastic competition, which is what it is. And we wanted to start small and make sure that we'd be in a position to expand. And my understanding is that they were actually looking to expand this year with more games and looking to announce more teams. Then the pandemic hit, and I think it's really impacted sport, and I do worry about the impact that it's going to have on women's sport going forward because whilst we've seen a lot of our women's sport rally, we've got the WBBL happening at the moment, the WNBL happening, um, I still don't think we quite know the impact of this pandemic on sport and what it's going to look like going forward. Yeah, I was reading some content from uh, an international marketing group where they were saying that from their research that anything up to 20% of what were regular sports watchers won't be returning to watching live sports after you know the pandemic is over, whenever that is. Now, if that actually is the case, that's going to have some pretty significant impacts on sport across the board, let alone women's sport. Absolutely it will. But I think as well as difficult as this pandemic has been for so many of us, it really is a great opportunity for sports to reset and have a think about where they're spending their money and what their strategy looks like and potentially thinking about how women's sport is part of that strategy and hitting that reset button because financially a lot of our sports are going to look very different if and when we come out of this pandemic. It's very true. Now, I'm going to get off this topic for a moment because one of the things you mentioned earlier is that you studied law and obviously you work in the legal profession now. How do you balance the time your job takes along with what you do with sports? Well, Paul, I feel like I could almost ask you the exact same question, but uh, the answer that I give is that I genuinely love it and if you genuinely love something, you find the time for it. So it means the occasional uh, very, very early start, the occasional very, very late start, but I make it happen. I couldn't do it, though, without um, my mum and dad. I still live at home, although not for much longer, actually, and they sort of keep the background to my life running, which is very helpful. It is because I love it, and I think that these are stories worth sharing, and I find it really difficult to say no to sharing those stories. You're right. Once you're passionate about it, you really do want to keep doing what you're doing one of the things that that's interesting for me is that you started off with league and moved to cricket and to other sports rugby basketball as you've mentioned how did you find that move from sport to sport and and growing out into those areas it's been a lot of fun I guess what's important to note is that rugby league and cricket are probably the two sports that I know the best so as I've expanded into the other sports my knowledge of them and the intricacies of it aren't as good but what I am passionate about is seeing women get the opportunity to play those sports and seeing their stories be shared so I've had the chance to meet so many different athletes across so many different sports and whilst I don't really know the intricacies of their sport I'll still do what I can not just to share their stories but actually to um 
sort of talk the talk and walk the walk because I like to attend as much women's sport as I can as well because I really do think that putting your bum on a seat makes a massive difference and it doesn't really matter what sport it is. I always have a wonderful time because our female athletes are absolutely incredible and there's a really special community around them too. So I love going to the WNBL to watch the Flames. It's a really wonderful community. The basketball is entertaining and it feels like a family. It does feel like a family. And yes, I've noticed that last few years I've noticed you in the stands at some of the Flames games. I'd be interested to get your opinion on the whole experience of women's basketball in comparison to, say, the experience of the short-form cricket, for example. I think they're quite similar in that both have sort of developed that real community around them. So often when I go to the Flames, I'll see several of my friends from different walks of life because they're passionate about women's sport. And it's exactly the same with cricket. You walk around at North Sydney Oval and you see friends from, you know, all parts of life coming to say hello because they're behind the movement. I guess the real benefit the cricket has is that it is a more mainstream sport I would say that financially it's probably in a better position than Basketball Australia so that they have made that investment into the women's game and particularly the Australian women's cricket team. And we're seeing the results of that investment now. And I think additionally having Channel 7 as the broadcast partner and having so much of their, you know, their games on television has certainly helped because, as I said before, you can't be what you can't see. And I think it's fantastic this year that we're seeing the WNBL back on television, back on the ABC, because that visibility is just so important. It is, and particularly when they've got such a short season, it's six weeks in total. Uh, What sort of impact do you think this season's going to have for the WNBL? Paul, I call this, in my eyes, a real season of opportunity. I think that's the key word here. As I mentioned, there will be games back on free-to-air television and some games on Fox, of course. So there is an opportunity for people to watch those games and also to watch sport in a time where there isn't a lot of other sport on. So the WBBL is on at the moment, of course, but there is a real opportunity for people to watch the WNBL, and it isn't in competition with the men's league either. So that's a great opportunity. But then I see this as really the start of a real period of potential momentum for women's basketball in this country. Fingers crossed we'll have the Olympics next year, and then the year after that we'll have the FIBA Women's World Cup, you know, here in Australia, and that's another really exciting opportunity for women's basketball. I agree with you. I think that the Women's World Cup is going to make a huge impact on women's basketball in Australia. If the Olympics don't go ahead next year, which is a potential, do you think that's going to have an impact on the Women's World Cup, or do you think it's actually going to help boost the event because there will have been such a shortage of international basketball competition? I actually just think the event is going to be a tremendous success and there's opportunity for it to be a success if it is marketed and put out into the public appropriately. I mean, we saw with the ICC T20 Women's World Cup and the, you know, the 85,000 people that attended the MCG on International Women's Day this year, people are very willing to get behind women's sport and to show their support in public and, and paying money to buy tickets and, and to meet their favourite athletes. So I think and I'm hopeful that, you know, Sydney and the other areas where games will be played will really get behind it. And even if basketball isn't your number one favourite sport, if you're interested in women's sport and a wonderful event, this is just another opportunity, especially in a world where I don't see us having too many big events that a lot of people can attend in the next sort of year, year and a half. 
the other part to that is where we do get these big events, one of the big issues is going to be about getting crowds in the door. How do you think these events are going to play out without having full houses if that comes to pass? It's a really tricky one because we all know what it's like to attend sporting events in a full house. But, I mean, I did go to the NRL Grand Final a couple of weeks ago and I think uh, ANZ Stadium was only half full, but there was still a really great atmosphere there. And I think that whoever gets the opportunity to attend these events certainly makes their voices heard and understands that we're in a difficult position at the moment with the pandemic and will do their best to sort of make that atmosphere as good as it can. And I think our sports are really thinking about it too. So now I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, the future of women's sports. What do you think we, the greater we, can do Mm -hmm. to try and grow women's sports and engagement with women's sports? The easiest and the simplest thing that people can do is get their bums on seats because there is nothing more powerful than people paying money for those seats and broadcasters and advertisers saying that people are interested in the product. And getting your bum on a seat is a really easy thing that a lot of people can do. So that is always the first thing that I encourage people to do. And I know that there will be people out there who haven't been to women's basketball or are a little bit afraid of going by themselves. As I said before, you tend to find that at women's sport there is a real community, and I find it really welcoming and kind. So I would certainly encourage people to get out there and, and, you know, put their bum on a seat or to turn their television on because those broadcast numbers also really matter. The other thing that I would say is that there are a lot of women and men doing great independent coverage of our sport. Get behind them, read their work, support their work, comment on their work so that they, they can be encouraged to do more and the news organisations can see that interest as well because we're just not getting where we need to get to in the mainstream media at the moment. Yeah, it almost feels like the mainstream media have pretty much selected rugby league, cricket, rugby union and horse racing as the only four sports that they're willing to cover and everything else, if it does get any space, it's pretty much, there's something going on, we just got to throw something in just to get a little bit of coverage on that. You called out those four big sports, but even in those four big sports, I think our women's teams in those sports or our female athletes are still struggling to get the coverage. So for sports that aren't one of those big four sports, it becomes even more challenging. But there are a lot of people out there covering these sports, you know, like yourself, Paul, like the Outer Sanctum when it comes to AFLW, like, you know, Siren that covers all women's sport. So get behind them and support their work because they're all very passionate about what they do and, you know, should be encouraged to do more of that work. One of the things that I find interesting is quite often when there is coverage of women's sports by the mainstream media, there's almost like a a particular slant that they'll take with a story and just consistently stick with it regardless of what else is happening. For example, there seems to be a slant of for a mainstream sport to say, oh, it's the ladies of or something like that. It's almost like they're isolating a group off from the greater sport itself. And I think that actually really plays against trying to help promote the sport. Yeah, I think so, Paul. And I think it's a really good point in the importance of language and language matters. So a great example of a sport that's done really important work in this space is Cricket Australia. If you think about the Australian women's cricket team, a couple of years ago they were known as the Southern Stars. And it was a little bit weird that they were called the Southern Stars, but we had the Australian cricket team, which were the men. 
So a couple of years ago, Cricket Australia made a very concerted decision to change the name. So you had the Australian, you know, women's cricket team and the Australian men's cricket team, which really signifies, you know, equality across both those teams. And I think it's important. And, you know, women in particular sports are just athletes, just like the men are, and don't always, I think, want to be painted as women in that particular sport. They just want an equal opportunity, just like the men get. Yeah, it's it's almost like what's lacking is equivalence in terms of coverage, in terms of support, is really what's what women's sports deserve. Yeah, they certainly do. You know, I couldn't agree more. The quality of women's sport has dramatically improved. And if you think about the Australian women's cricket team, again, as an example, it's no surprise that the quality of their cricket became a lot better the moment that they became full-time professional athletes. So the investment is certainly worthwhile. And I'd like to see all sports moving in that direction because, as I said, the investment is worthwhile. People want to watch it. And, you know, it's a whole new market. It just doesn't make sense to me why sports wouldn't be interested in that whole new market and the potential new fans and audiences and sponsors that it can bring. And it does bring a a very different audience group and a different set of sponsors into a sport. One of the things I, I did want to talk about in relation to sponsorship, with your view across so many sports, which ones do you think are engaging with sponsors best in relation to women's sports? I think that's a really tricky question because I wonder whether it's the sports doing the engaging or whether organisations see some of the bigger women's sports and choose to focus in on them. So a great example is the recent partnership between, I think it's four sports and Cabri. So I think it's the NRLW, the AFLW, the Australian women's cricket team, and it may be netball. But those sports have, you know, had the support of Cabri going forward. And I wonder whether that was the sports doing that approaching or whether it was Cabri doing the approaching on the other side. But I think there are certainly opportunities out there for women's sports and many organisations that are, you know, more interested in covering women's sport rather than the men's. Not only is it probably cheaper to get that sponsorship arrangement across the line, but on the whole, I won't make a complete generalisation, you find that the female athletes are, I would actually say, better role models, to be honest, than the men and more relatable. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. And also, they're more accessible. I find that with women's sports, the athletes are more accessible to the fans and particularly to the kids. And that helps to inspire the kids to want to be like those role models that they meet. I couldn't agree more. And if I think about some of my most favourite moments, it's seeing, you know, little girls and boys hanging over the stands at the rugby league or the cricket to meet their favourite, you know, Australian representatives. And that accessibility is there. Like if you go to a Sydney Sixers WBBL game, you know, pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic, you're likely to be able to meet Elise Perry or Elisa Healy. And they are two of the best female cricketers in the entire world. And that accessibility is so important. There was a great video of Elise Perry last year. There were a couple of little girls that had travelled, I think, four hours to watch her play. They were wearing T-shirts that said the Elise Perry fan club. And after the game, Elise went up to them and met them. And one of the little girls was just absolutely beside herself, couldn't even talk. She was so excited. And given that, you know, women's sport is, you know, not at the stage where it is as big as the men's version of the game. You know, you've got that accessibility and the opportunity to meet your favourite athletes. Quite often what happens as sports grow and as they get a bigger audience, they have to, just in practical terms, start to put limits on accessibility. How do you think they can balance the, that sort of accessibility as they grow? 
think I've been lucky enough to be involved in women's sport when it is at this more embryonic stage. And sort of I wonder whether in future as women's sports get bigger that accessibility will change. But I think men's sport actually has a lot to learn from women's sport because while the athletes in 20, 30 years may not be as accessible to the fan hanging over the stand, I still think that female athletes have really wonderful stories to share and those stories make them human. And I think that's largely part of the appeal. I think what will be interesting is to say in future if all female athletes are professional, just like the men in their various sports are, whether that changes, you know, their capacity to have a story or whether it becomes more like the men where they're you know, brought into camps quite young and are always focused on, you know, achieving their dreams in their various sport and don't have too much going on outside it, I wonder whether that will change it. While you were saying that, one of the thoughts that came into my mind was one of the issues I believe with the men's sport is that there is such a desire to control the message that the sports stars actually start to become grey. They kind of blend into the background because there's a desire by every club to try and minimise the amount of controversy that they may Mm. generate. I think one of the things that's really great about women's sport is that the athletes have their opinion, but... For whatever reason, they're not as controversial as the men in many instances. If they do become more professional, you think that's going to become an issue in terms of as clubs want to try and control that message as they tend to do, will actually have a detrimental effect? It could well do, Paul, but I think as we've seen, people really love the genuine and authentic nature of women's sport and perhaps that's teaching sports that They don't have to worry as much when athletes share their views on issues that aren't directly related to that sport and, you know, build fan bases and and build popularity that way as well. It'll be interesting to see how that all sort of rolls out over the next few years because obviously there is, there's a real movement towards women's sport, particularly with the major sports. And from your point of view, having the opportunity to sit down and, and observe the women's NRL competition, the AFL women's competition, What lessons do you think those sports can provide to other women's sports? I think it's a tricky one, Paul, because a lot of those major sports have money behind them that some of our smaller sports don't have. But I think a big part of it is making the athletes accessible, particularly to media and particularly to that independent media that are so interested in covering them. I mean, I think I've covered almost every single sport this year. I've done, you know, table tennis, I've done biathlon, I've done bobsledding, you know, and those sports have been very willing and, you know, interested in making their athletes available to me so that they can get the coverage. So I think that that's really important. But also I think creating the family around the women's sport is really important too. So I've mentioned the Flames several times and the family that they've managed to create. I think there is a family around most women's sports and I think it's important that those sports harness those individuals and bring them into the tent and really make them feel part of that family. And speaking of the Flames, this year we've seen something that we've never seen before, which is where a major sponsor of a women's sport stayed the major sponsor of the women's team, the Mm -hmm. Sydney Uni Flames, and now become Mm -hmm. the naming rights sponsor for the men's team in the Sydney Kings. And obviously I'm speaking about uh, Lee Hadjipantelis and Bryden's lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you think that move by Lee is going to impact the sponsorship landscape? Well, I think it just demonstrates that opportunities for sponsorship are everywhere you look and that a sponsor that is interested in a women's team may be a sponsor for a men's team down the line. And I think it just 
shows the value of women's sport and, you know, the opportunities that it can bring. It almost demands that women's sport be taken seriously because that's what it deserves. Yeah, and one of the things that I've heard Lee say on several occasions is that the first foray that Bryden's lawyers had into sports sponsorship was with the Flames. All the sponsorship that's led to naming rights sponsorship of the New South Wales Blues effectively grew from the involvement in the Flames. So you're right, I think it does give a great story for women's sport is a, is a great jumping off point, but it's also something to become more strongly involved with. Absolutely, and an area for you know sporting organisations to focus on and invest time and resources into. So if we look at the Flames for a while, they are the only professional women's basketball team in New South Wales. What sort of impact do you feel that they've had on the New South Wales sporting landscape for women's sports? It's funny. I think we often talk about AFL being the real leader when it comes to women's sport. I tend to tell people that I think cricket has had a significant impact But then you forget about sports like the WNBL and teams like the Sydney Uni Flames that have been part of the Sydney sporting landscape for a very long time and driving and pushing women's sports. So I think that that's something that the Flames absolutely need to be commended for. But I think as well, creating that family around women's basketball is is something that's really important. And the Flames' presence is obviously key to developing that in New South Wales. And you see, you know, the number of little girls, I was at Flames fan day a couple of weeks ago and the number of little girls lining up to meet their favourite players I think was really special and to have that accessibility and that visibility of female athletes is important not just in a basketball context but in a wider sporting context. The interesting thing I found about the fan day was that it was combined there were there were a number of Kings players there as well and I think it's the first time in that sort of an environment where I actually saw the key interaction was with the the women's team and, and the athletes from the team. Absolutely and they're the main event that's why people have turned up you know to watch these athletes and I find it even in my experience now if you put a female athlete or a male athlete in front of me I'm more likely to get excited about the female athlete and I think it just speaks to the great audience that the Flames have that you know the Flames were the absolute main event on the day. I mean hopefully that'll continue on now that the two teams are under ownership by TSE. Yeah I think so and Paul, we were talking before about the broadcast. I think that's a crucial way of driving people to the WNBL. It's on free to air again, so I'm hoping that that not only leads to bigger broadcast numbers, but more people attending games and more young women, you know, wanting to play basketball. Hopefully we'll have an Olympics and hopefully we'll be seeing the Opals stepping up and delivering the results that, that many people know the team is capable of delivering. And that'll also be a launch pad for young girls to take up basketball Do you think the overall performance of these national teams also helps to grow the domestic competition? Absolutely. I mean, you look at the success of the Australian women's rugby sevens team and that gold medal that they won at Rio. That wasn't the start of women's sevens in Australia, but we've seen the growth and development of those competitions across the country. And I think it's a direct result of that gold medal. I think back to my experience as a kid, and this only dawned on me a couple of weeks ago when I was interviewing a former Australian water polo player, in that the Australian women's water polo team won gold in Sydney, and that was a significant moment for the team. I started playing water polo, and my school first introduced water polo in the year 2001. And in in my mind, that's a direct result of that gold medal and the interest in water polo and, you know, more young women playing water polo. That's a really interesting point about water polo. 
because I think it also highlights an issue that some of the smaller sports really struggle with is the the recognition of the quality of the athletes involved. It's almost like there's a need to try and get people from you know, every women's sport in a room to try and work out in a coordinated manner how to grow the visibility of all the various women's sports. And you know some of the larger sports might have to try and take a bit of a lead to be able to bring the other sports along with them. That sounds like a great idea and I think that's one of the real powers of women's sport is the collaboration and the kindness amongst it. I think even though the sports are competing, of course, they very genuinely share ideas and want to see women's sports grow. So I think there is a real opportunity there. Okay, I'm going to get off women's sports for a second and (laughs) we're going to go on to a completely unscripted question. I want to ask you, what movie character do you most identify with? This is a question we ask people at random. Goodness me, I'm not really into movies that much. I'm terrible. It's like I often joke, you name it, I haven't seen it. Let me have a think. I don't think I've ever been asked a question like that before. I can tell you who my favourite characters are, especially on television. Um, Okay, so which TV show (laughs) character do you most identify with? Well, I was going to say movie-wise, perhaps it's the character Merida in Brave. Have you and your daughter seen Brave? Yes, Brave is one of my favourite movies and I think it was because uh, Merida was an absolute trailblazer. She has that mane of very, very wild curly hair, which I really identify with, (laughs) and um, had a loud voice and wasn't afraid to use it. So I will say Merida from Brave. My favourite TV character is George Costanza, but I don't identify with him. I want to make that very clear. (laughs) Yeah, look, I think a lot of people would say that George Costanza is a (laughs) favourite, but they definitely don't want to identify with him. Or any of those characters, actually, to be honest. They're very funny, but when you really think about it, they're actually, yeah. Terrible, terrible people. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Mary, just one last thing before we wrap up. What other sports do you think that women compete in need to get greater exposure? If you could only pick like one or two, which two do you think that would need more exposure? Oh, Paul, that is the hardest question I have ever been asked because, of course, the answer that I want to give is absolutely all of them. I want to say basketball. I really do because I feel like the Australian Opals are one of the best teams in the world and the quality of our competition here and some of the women that come across from the WNBA are absolutely exceptional athletes. So I certainly think that basketball does need more coverage. I'd also more generally, and not that all Paralympic sports are the same, but I think we also need to do better at covering our Paralympic sports because, you know, there's a lot of talk about how inspirational the athletes are, and that's true, but their performances in their various sports are absolutely incredible too, and they have stories worth sharing too. So I'd love to see more coverage of that. That's a really good point. It's very true. A lot of the local leagues get virtually no coverage and in effect, they become a once-every-four-year sporting event. It's so true. And if you think about, you know, young children growing up with a disability in this country, sport is such an important part of their lives and for a place for them to go and, you know, be physical and meet people and make friends. And I think it's important that those sports also get the recognition and the coverage that they deserve as well. Mary, thanks so much for your time, taking time out from your busy day. Thank you so much for having me and I'm just disappointed I won't see you at a Flames game this year, but maybe next year. Absolutely. Mary, thanks for your time. Thanks again, Paul.